Welcome back to another edition of Making Money, the podcast with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead. Part two of our series on retiring, Ron. You know, everybody worries about, am I going to have enough when I retire? What if the answer comes back after you've done that analysis and it says, gee, maybe I don't have enough to retire on? Well, if you just came in at the last minute, I would suggest that you listen to last week's show because last week we talked about how much does the average Canadian need to retire? How much can you take out of your portfolio with a reasonable chance of it lasting 30 years and beyond? What type of of things should you have in, in a portfolio? How much income should you expect your portfolio to give you? So we answered a lot of those questions along the way about portfolio returns, inflation, how they will affect it. So now you've come to the point where you've crunched all your numbers. And as you've just said so eloquently, you find out... Numbers not quite right. Yeah, the numbers really don't work. Well, then you've got five options and you really need to spend some time doing this before you retire. I know sometimes at the last minute, you walk into the HR office, you're out the door with your your stuff and somebody's walking you out where you haven't had the time to do this. But in most cases, if you can take the time to plan this out ahead of when you're going to retire, it'll take a lot of the stress out of retirement. So if you find you're short, the first thing you wanna do is talk about downsizing and cutting your cost of living. Now on Vancouver Island, you're starting to see that because in Vancouver, a house that you can put a two by four against the wall to keep it from collapsing is over a million dollars now. So what's happening is you're seeing people that look around, well, they like the West Coast lifestyle. So they're going to Vancouver Island and they're going up Island, they're going to Parksville, Qualicum, Comox, even places north, and they're finding literally properties that they can buy for a third, maybe even a quarter of what they were paying in Vancouver. So, you know, Vancouver's got a lot of advantages, it's got the restaurants, it's got theater, it's got, it's got the ambiance right by the ocean, it's got so many things going for it, but, you know, maybe in retirement you can't afford that. So if you, they're moving to the island, where they can take the proceeds that they're making from their house because often in Vancouver, that's the only asset you got. Everything else you poured into your house and everything else has just gone to survival over the years. So one of the things you can do is just check around to see if there's an opportunity for you and it's not going to absolutely uh, destroy your psyche. I mean, some people couldn't stand living up at Comox if they came from Vancouver. They like living on the 48th floor looking at the harbor. But if you can figure out something that you can accomplish that is within your lifestyle parameters, the first thing you should do is just looking at reducing your cost of living. And if you can do that, that can solve the problem right there. Also, maybe you work a little bit longer before you retire. Maybe your your target was 60 and maybe you work to your 62. And you know something? Even medically, this makes sense because people that retire cold turkey with no plans to do anything else, their life expectancy is dramatically reduced. Whereas if you can take your retirement and you can turn it into rather than just cold turkey moving to something else, you've got a glide path into retirement as you're going to the retirement runway and you can cut it down. So 
Maybe one year you're working 30 hours, maybe 20, maybe 10. So as you get further into retirement, obviously the further into retirement you are, the less money you need. So if you can make it so that you're earning enough to cover the basics and you're still engaged, actually that can be a real win-win. All right. So there's one way to look at it. Now, what about uh, the youngsters? Maybe you take a look at your inheritance plan for your children and say, well, I'd like to leave them this big chunk of dough. Maybe I'll downsize that just a little bit. And that is surprising how few people actually do that. Most would like to leave some money for their kids. And as they get closer to retirement, they find that their kids, two things happen. Number one, their kids become really successful. So the kids get a good job, they buy a house, they don't need your money. And then you have the opposite, where you've got a kid that is a complete train wreck. And you can't give them any money anyways because all they're going to do is blow it. You might as well spend more on yourself, ski team, spend my kid's inheritance. So, you know, if you find either one of those situations, then it's worth sitting down figuring out if I'm not giving the money to the kids and I'm going to spend it, what does that do to my annual income over the next 10, 15, or 20 years? Do we talk about taxes in this too, Ron? Do we sit down and, and, and talk to our financial advisor, our investment counselor, whatever the case may be, and get some? We've talked about a tax strategy here before. Yeah, and, and one of the things that we that we talked about was just sitting down once a year and looking at your portfolio, whether you should take some gains or losses, sit down with your advisor or sit down with your accountant and look at where you're putting things. Do you have your fixed income investments where they're sheltered? Do you have your capital gains where in the high income earner and the family? Do you have dividends in the right place? Are you splitting your income properly? And frankly, if you take 20 minutes of your accountant's time, once every year or a couple of years, it's going to be the best money you ever spend. And you might find that the ability to retire isn't coming from the previous three. It's coming from the fourth. You found a way to actually pay considerably less tax, which puts more money in your pocket and might alleviate you having to go through and some of the drastic things like downsizing. So once you've reviewed these five options and made the changes, you can then sit down and recalculate and get things going until they're in balance. That's what you're trying to get, right? To get the balance. Exactly. And the the, the last one is sitting down with your investment advisor. And we talked about it on a previous show where maybe it's not a bad idea every once in a while to look at your dogs and take the stocks that are not performing that well or fixed income investments that aren't portfolio performing that well and seeing what you can do realistically to upgrade to better investments that will give you higher and more higher quality and more consistent rates of return. So some of the problem might be you've just been sitting on too much baggage for too long. Maybe it's time to get rid of this, buy something that will produce the income you need, and that also can be a solution to your problem. All right, now let's start talking down about the nuts and bolts here. Is uh, We have a portfolio And as we're keeping retirement as our end goal in mind, how much of my portfolio should be in fixed income? Well, generally, an investor wants to have four years worth of retirement cash flow invested in fixed income securities. So let's say you need $50,000 a year, just as an example, and you retire tomorrow. Well, 50,000 times four years is 200,000. 
So you should have four years worth of cash flow in fixed income. And the reason you want to do that is because bonds and GICs have very low volatility and they can be cashed and used to provide retirement income when frankly markets suck. And if markets are down, that's the last thing you want to be doing is selling stocks to support your lifestyle at 50 cents on the dollar. You want to wait for them to come back. And so if you take a look at recessions, generally recessions last a year and a half to two years. But having a couple of years of, of safety there, you can always sell your fixed income investments to live on while you're waiting for the market to come back. So four years is, is generally what I recommend of retirement cash flow in fixed income securities. And that should also be a very good safety net for you in case we're going into a stretch of bad markets here. How do I adjust my portfolio over time with stocks to provide me with the income I need? Well, I think there's two things that you want to do here. Of course, we talked about inflation and how inflation can slowly be like a termite chewing away at the foundation of your portfolio. And if you have 2 or 3% inflation, it means your buying power is dropping by 2 or 3% a year. So one of the things you should do as you get closer to retirement is look at companies that pay dividends. And you want to buy those companies that have had a historic ability to increase their dividend above the rate of inflation. So if inflation is 2% and you've got a company that can increase its annual dividend or cash to you by 5%, it means that your buying power is actually increasing and not decreasing. And of course, over the years, if you start biasing your portfolio to companies that pay growing good dividends and growing dividends, frankly, it's pretty easy for you when the time comes is if you've had a portfolio like this and on previous shows, if you followed some of our recommendations and put those companies on the dividend reinvestment plan where you're taking your money and you're buying more shares with that money, as you get to retirement, it's simple. You just flick the switch. Instead of having your shares on dividend reinvestment plan, you take them off the dividend reinvestment plan. You instruct the investment firm your money's at that every month you want the account sweeped and the cash put in your, your checking account so that you can expend it on lifestyle. So if you do that over time, if five, ten years before you retire, you make a conscious effort of replacing the investments you have with companies that have a good and growing dividend. So by the time you, re you retire, the bulk of your equity portfolio is in those kind of companies. Then you can just flick the switch and there's very little drama involved in getting the income you need. So now companies that pay dividends are, are often less volatile than the non-dividend paying cousins, right? Yeah. And as we talked about, that's one reason why you want to have four years worth of fixed income because if markets go down and the last two recessions that we've had in the economy have led to market pullbacks of 56% and 49%, which can take a long time to come back. So if you have dividend paying stocks as well as fixed income in your portfolio, Dividend paying stocks tend to be a third less volatile than their non-dividend paying cousins. So if a market goes down, just do the math here. If you have 50% of your portfolio in stocks and 50% in fixed income, and the market goes down 50%, your fixed income portfolio doesn't move. 
It means that your whole portfolio, because you've got half of it in stocks that have gone down 50%, you're down 25%, okay? So now let's say your portfolio is a third less volatile because you've had dividend paying stocks. Well, it could easily mean that in a market that goes down 50 plus percent, you're down between 15 and 20%. And most people, I find it's when market drops get over 25%, that's when the fear and greed kicks in and you're hitting the sell button. So usually with 15, 20%, people go, yeah, yeah, the market's had a big hit, but I did pretty good here and I think I can hang on and wait. So this also not only provide you with income and growing income above inflation, but it'll also have less volatility, which will put less pressure on you when markets go down to sell stocks and take a loss. So how our portfolio is structured, if we have some capital gains exposure, and this I think goes again back to the tax question, how do I, how do I generate capital gains income in a tax-efficient manner? Well, if you have a stock that, for example, has had a tremendous move and now appears to be significantly overvalued, generally, I would recommend, instead of taking the money out and reinvesting all of it, when you're selling this stock, or let's say you've got a takeover where a company gets taken, taken away from you by another company and you're given cash and you've got no choice, so you're sitting on a lump of cash and a big profit, well, take some of that profit into income this year because capital gains are outside uh, re uh, registered accounts. They're only taxed at the top rate of 24%. So you're not taking a big tax hit on this stuff. And then go through your portfolio. Usually I try to do that a couple of times a year. Uh, the most important time being later in the year around November. And I look, if I've got some losses, I'll sell off those stocks that have been dogs and I'll use the capital loss, apply it against the capital gain, and I can lower the effective tax often to a very low percentage by deducting one off against the other. So you can use capital gains to generate income and you can also go through your portfolio and structure it so it's it's not going to hang you out to dry when the CRA looks at how much profit you made. Okay, the next the next area is one that uh, over the years, uh, you know, I think back to when we had runaway inflation in Canada back to the early '80s. I, I can hear I, I remember hearing stories about people that uh, had different things, like farmers, as an example. Maybe they sold the farm. And I remember hearing one story about somebody who put a, a considerable amount of money into an annuity. But at that time, the annuities were paying 20%. I don't think they're paying that any longer. So is an annuity something you should look at? Well, uh, basically, an annuity is an insurance contract that pays out a fixed amount of annual income for the life of the person who took the contract out. Or you can make the annuity generally so it'll pay for your life and then your spouse's life or a reduced portion uh, while your spouse is still alive. And I had lunch with a guy last week who, who uh, was an engineer for a pipeline. He took an annuity out 33 years ago at 12.5%. And of course, he said, I didn't expect to live to be 96. But he did. And it's been paying him out ever since. So if, especially if you have a long lifespan, annuities can make sense because you're going to have an extended period of time where the insurance company has to pay you the contracted rate. Now, if you buy an annuity and die after a few years or pass away, uh, then the numbers don't look quite so good. Typically, 
When you want to buy an annuity is when rates are high, and especially if you think you've got a good gene pool and you're going to live a long period of time. So if you buy an annuity when rates are high, then you're locking in these high yields for an extended period of time in annuity. And if you get quotes on annuities occasionally, you'll find that the rate of return that you're getting on your annuity is following the direction of the bond market. So if yields are dropping, the total return you're going to be getting on your annuity tends to be going down as well. If interest rates are rising, you get a quote, you'll find that typically the payout gets better. So annuities make great investments because you know with certitude how much you're going to get for as long as you're alive. The tough part is when rates are low, you're locking yourself into extremely low payouts for essentially the life of the contract. They are. There is something that, and I, I, does that sort of apply to people, Ron, when you get to a, a stage of a retirement where you have to start taking riffs and, and things of that nature? Is an annuity an option you should look at at that point? Well, you can, but here again, I think over the next few years, there's a very reasonable chance that we're going to see higher rates. Rates peaked in the early 1980s at, uh, well, in Canada, we had Canada savings bonds and government T-bills of over 20% at one point. And we've had this long toboggan slide down where you can go and buy a 10-year bond right now and the yield's under 3%. And so interest rate cycles tend to move in long extended patterns. But it looks like we're bottoming out here. And if we are bottoming out and rates start to rise, I suggest looking at other options and just watching where interest rates go. And if we have a good bump, let's say, where yields go over 5 or 6%, then I would certainly start looking at locking money into an annuity. All right, let's, let's squeeze in one more tidbit here before we move on to part three of retirement planning. What should I do to create income if I own mutual funds in my portfolio? Well, if you, you have mutual funds for the bulk of your retirement assets, it's actually very easy to convert them into a monthly income stream. Just inform the company that manages the funds that you want to set up a systematic withdrawal plan. The acronym for this is SWIP, S-W-P, and then instruct them how much money you'd like to take out each month from the funds that you have. If the mutual funds are in a normal investment account, some of the withdrawal each month will be considered return of principal or capital, and it's not subject to any tax. So the tax consequences, especially if you have funds in a non-registered account, uh, can be quite reasonable, and you'll get a fixed amount every month, and the mutual fund company will take care of that for you. So a very easy way uh, to get cash flow if you've been a mutual investor, fund investor over the long term. Okay, still some areas to clear up, like where should I get my money from? Should I take some from this portion or a little bit from there? And how do you make that plan? We're going to come back with part three of how to set up your retirement the way you'd like it to be so you're comfortable and you're not laying awake at night worrying about whether or not you have enough money to get the job done. Ron Hebert is the financial coach, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll be back with more on Making Money next week. Thanks for listening. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.